Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my bed crimers, hi, how you doing? Hope you're having a great day. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching the video, if you find you enjoyed it or learned something, do me a favor, smash that like button and consider subscribing. Also, if you appreciate my work, please consider supporting the channel with a Patreon membership. Now, let's dig in. Nancy Grace has a new special on Fox Nation called Brian Koberger, I Am Blank. Grace was able to sit down with some of Koberger's friends to find out more about who he really is. It's a 36-minute video, and as I said, you can find it on Fox Nation. I watched it, so I'm going to tell you what's in it. One former friend named Jack Bayless, who met Koberger in middle school, described him as a quiet, funny, and very curious person. Bayless said he and Koberger would contemplate the question, what if life is just a dream? Bayless and Koberger would hang out in the woods around their homes and do, quote, preteen teenage things, like looking for snakes. Bayless said he remembers hanging out at Koberger's house as well. He described it as, quote, relatively cozy. He said Koberger lived in a normal house with normal parents. Bayless stated Koberger did indeed suffer from visual snow. That's a condition where you see static, like on an old TV. We know Koberger wrote about his experiences with this condition on an online forum when he was 15 years old. He talked about being depressed and having the desire to unalive himself. He said he couldn't remember any childhood memories and he felt blank. Hence the title of Grace's video. Bayless said he and Koberger would often discuss women and how they felt frustrated with the dating scene. Bayless claimed that women would, quote, ghost them. As you probably know, to ghost someone is to ignore them without any explanation. Note that according to clinical police and forensic psychologists, Dr. Chris Mahandi, this frustration is a common feeling for incels or involuntary celibates, which are often young men and they often post about their feelings online. Another friend said that Koberger could not take a hint when a female rejected him, which led the females to bully him. This likely led Koberger as well to develop hostile feelings towards women, to be dismissive of them, and he was sort of like, how dare you reject me? He had a sense of entitlement to women. Koberger would message Bayless saying that he's been depressed for so long. The friend also said that Koberger would get aggressive when drunk. The old angry drunk versus the old happy drunk. We've all known one of those, right? And that his friends would have to hide his car keys. Bayless also suggested that Koberger would do, quote, other sketchy drugs, end quote. 
I'm not sure what he's alluding to there. We know that Hoberger reportedly kicked a heroin addiction before college, and he sold his sister's iPhone in 2014 while in the throes of his addiction to get money. Jack Bayless said that once Koberger lost the hundred and so pounds, he was more confident. Bayless said Koberger assumed he was more attractive without the extra weight. He lost the pounds by running and boxing every single day. This is when Koberger developed anger issues, which led his friends to break off their friendship with him. Yeah, you'd probably feel angry if you had to run and box every day out of some obsession to keep the weight off. That can make you kind of angry, especially if you are limiting what you're eating as well. I will admit to you that I get hangry when I am limiting calories to lose weight. During those times, it's like every little thing pisses me off. Bayless said when Koberger drank, he became aggressive. And when he got into heroin, Bayless and Koberger drifted apart. Koberger found new friends who were also into heroin. The addiction led to more problems at the technical school where he was studying HVAC. Koberger left the school and finished his senior year online. He was then in and out of rehab several times. I wonder who was paying for that rehab. My understanding is that rehab is very expensive and it's often not free. Finally, Koberger kicked the addiction and began studying psychology at community school. At this time, he became a security guard at his former high school. He also joined Tinder at this point, but he still had issues with females. He was described by one of his dates as a stage five clinger. Nancy Grace told America's Newsroom that Koberger's defense team will likely not use alcohol or drug use as a defense strategy. Koberger's former guidance counselor from high school, Donna Yasniak, said on the program that Koberger's parents were very involved, very supportive, and very nice people. She said Michael Koberger, Brian's father, worked as a school mechanic. His mother was described as a paraprofessional. Yasniak said that she met often with Koberger's parents to discuss his career path. During Koberger's high school years, his mother wrote those editorial letters to the local newspaper. In the letter, she discussed her stance against abortion. She also said she was for gun control, but against the death penalty. That one seems eerily prescient, knowing that her son is now facing the death penalty. The counselor said Koberger stood out because he was very intelligent, very intellectual, and because he would delve into topics that were not, quote, on a shallow level. She also said he had good grades and seemed very focused and motivated. She said there were no red flags with him, which is surprising to hear because we know behind the scenes he was posting scary stuff on that Visual Snow online forum. I guess he was able to mask his depression from this counselor and maybe also from his parents. 
The counselor said she remembers working with Koberger and his family to fill out paperwork for Koberger to study protective services at that tech school. Only 25 students were allowed in each year, so it was very competitive, and Koberger needed to have good grades and a discipline record that was, quote, non-existent. Koberger got into the program and apparently enjoyed wearing the security uniform. He was very intrigued with the law and supposedly wanted to help people. Dr. Chris Mahandi said that some people go into law enforcement because they are hiding more sinister motivations. They find the study of the offenses stimulating, and they love the power associated with law enforcement. Kohlberger apparently enjoyed being a patrol officer among the other students at the tech school and seemed to really lord the power over them. Koberger did have a few incidents while in that law enforcement program. The incidents involved females who were also in the program. One of those incidents led Koberger to be kicked out. The school then transferred him into that heating and ventilation program, and they did that because it had no females in it, and they said they felt better knowing he was in a group without women. Koberger, during his college years, reconnected with his friend Jack Bayless. Bayless said he and Brian talked more often at this point than they had in high school. Bayless said Koberger expressed that he wanted to deal with high-profile offenders. He also said that Koberger told him he'd been depressed since the age of five. Koberger was still having trouble with women at this point. They would not return his texts. His frustration with females grew, and he also had a sense of entitlement to them, despite them rejecting him. Another guy who went to college at DeSales University with Koberger said he was a pretty normal guy there and very nice. He said Koberger blended in and did not stand out as a weirdo. Bayless said the last time he saw Koberger, Brian looked really good and was calm and nothing seemed terribly off. Koberger resigned at this point after five years as a security guard at his high school, but he was basically forced to resign. However, no one has said publicly why that was. In 2022, Koberger allegedly buys the K-Bar and a sheath for it online, then moves to Pullman, Washington. This is when he becomes a teaching assistant at the university, and he apparently battles regularly with female professors there. He also comes across to the other students as haughty. Off campus, he allegedly snuck into a female colleague's apartment and moved her furniture around, likely to freak her out. As a teaching assistant, he is said to have been a very harsh grader. We'd heard that. And after altercations with a male professor at the university, Professor Snyder, the crime in Moscow, Idaho occurs. Koberger is soon fired from his TA position. That's when Koberger does the cross-country trip with his father, and we know what happens once he's home in Pennsylvania for the holidays. He ends up arrested on December 30th of 2022. To me, it seems like Brian Koberger had, has a lot of potential. You can only imagine his parents' heartache at learning that he was arrested for this just savage crime. It sounds like they were always walking on 
a thin rope between him doing well in school and then him doing something to screw it up. He gets addicted to heroin, which had to be absolutely horrible for his family. It probably cost them a lot to send him to the rehab, unless Pennsylvania has some free programs for those problems. His friend Jack Bayless described hearing that Kohlberger was arrested for the murders of the four students. He said it kind of blew his mind. Kohlberger's counselor from high school was also shocked when she heard the news. The administrator of the tech school was also surprised, but she said that it made things in the past begin to make more sense for her. Jack Bayless says he hopes Koberger is innocent, despite what he's seen of the evidence. The school counselor, Donna Yasniak, also hopes that he's innocent. She said she's reserving judgment until she hears what evidence is presented at trial. Of course, she knows Koberger's parents, so she's not going to want to publicly express that she believes Koberger's guilty. Moving on to another topic. Kaylee Gonsalves' outspoken father, Steve, told Fox News Digital last week that Koberger is receiving special treatment in jail. Gonsalves said, quote, I've been informed that his pretrial privileges, like his five suits, video and computer special treatment, and vegan meals are unprecedented in the history of Idaho, end quote. I don't think we can blame Mr. Gonsalves for maybe feeling irked knowing Koberger is being treated with kid gloves. Yes, Koberger is innocent until proven guilty, but for the victim's families, knowing the police believe Koberger is the person who committed the crime, it cannot be easy watching him turn up for court in nice suits instead of an orange jumpsuit and smiling and joking with his legal team. I'm just saying that it has to be hard to try and suppress your feelings of outrage at seeing this person who's been accused of savagely taking your child's life. Moving on to another topic, CrimeCon took place over the weekend. Sadly, I was unable to attend. I will admit I felt sorry for myself. I definitely had FOMO, fear of missing out. A surprise speaker turned up there, and it was Ethan Chapin's mother, Stacy. Stacy shared what's been described as emotional and heartfelt sentiments about the four students who died. I can tell you that if I'd been there and I saw Stacy Chapin talking about those four souls, I would have lost it. Ugly tears would have left rivulets on my face through my makeup. Chapin told the crowd that she did not watch a presentation about the murders because it was too hard to watch. I'm assuming this was the presentation by forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan. She thanked Morgan for his respectful remarks about the four students. Here's what Chapin said. I'm Stacy Chapin, and I'm Ethan's mom. I want all of you to know that these were four of the greatest kids, and all of the great things that you read about them are legitimately true. It's always been a challenge for me to hear people talk about Ethan who don't know him. I can speak on behalf of my own son, who was an incredible human, and we miss them all terribly. They were amazing, amazing kids in the prime of their life, end quote. The surprise appearance by Chapin left host Joseph Scott Morgan very moved. Morgan later said, quote, I knew immediately that I needed to keep my mouth shut at this point because this woman, 
more so than anybody at this conference relative to these Idaho cases. She deserved to have a platform, end quote. Yes, she did. Moving on to yet another topic, and that is how former New York police officer Joe Giancoloni, who was also at CrimeCon, said that cops released the crime scene of the Idaho murders too early and that it could cause issues similar to the botched investigation of the 2007 case against Amanda Knox. I think we've all felt that they released the crime scene too early especially when we saw them removing some of the victim's belongings from the house in early December of 2022. Remember, the crime occurred on November 13th of 2022, so that wasn't very long after it. Gian Coloni told the U.S. Sun at CrimeCon, quote, Once they started giving family members back stuff from the house, as far as I was concerned, the crime scene was over. But then here they are going back to the house. They shut it down. They said they sent in cleaners, if you remember too. It was like, what are you guys doing, right? You don't release a crime scene until you are 150% sure you've done everything. You take the time because you only get one chance to do it right. And if you screw it up, there's no second chance, end quote. Giacolone also compared the Idaho murders crime scene to that of Meredith Kircher. In case you don't remember, Kircher was a 21-year-old British exchange student who was found dead in her apartment in Perugia, Italy in 2007. Kircher shared the apartment with American exchange student Amanda Knox. Knox was 20 at the time, and she was charged with Kircher's murder and later convicted of it. She spent nearly four years in an Italian prison. The authorities later arrested an Italian from Perugia named Rudy Goudet and convicted him for the crime, which cleared Amanda Knox of the crime. Giacolone said that the Italian police, quote, botched the entire crime scene stuff. Then they came back two weeks later and said, oh, I found this bloody bra. Remember that? It all got thrown out. Like, are you kidding me? After two weeks later, you went back and you found this incriminating piece of evidence? Even if it's legit, you created reasonable doubt. End quote. Giacolone also said that he believes the best place to look for clues is in Koberger's car. He said, quote, To me, the most important thing is, did they find anything in his car? Because you can't slaughter four people. Get in your car. I don't care if he bleached it. He'd have to have set that car on fire in order to get rid of all the DNA evidence. I tell people, it's like, remember when you were a kid? You were making a milkshake at home, and the cover comes off, and the stuff goes everywhere, and you think you cleaned it all up, and then six months later, you pull a dish out, and you find chocolate milk on the bottom of it, right? You can't get rid of everything, end quote. Everyone has said that car is a traveling crime scene, and yet we haven't heard of any DNA evidence being found in it. Maybe the prosecutors have that evidence, but haven't made it known publicly, or maybe they didn't find anything. We're going to have to wait until the trial to know for sure. Until the next time on Bedcrumb Stories. If you enjoyed this, if you learned anything, smash that like button. It really helps. See you next time.